Welcome to Scripps Talks. Today we have Garrett Downing joining us on the program. And Garrett has been with Baltimore Ravens doing social media and digital media now for just under a decade. And I find that rather shocking. So do I. <laughs> I looked up your uh, date of graduation. You know, we talk a lot with our students about how the job market is dynamic and shifting and so forth, but you've been with one organization for nine years and obviously you're quite settled in there it would seem my first job out of college i worked for a tv station in cleveland which is a scripts affiliate wws and i did that for about a year and a half and then i moved here to baltimore in 2011 and it's been great the ravens are a great organization been able to be part of some really exciting events in the sports world like a super bowl in 2012 my first full season, I was like, this is great. Uh, you go to the Super Bowl every year. This is awesome. And so uh, just been able to have some incredible experiences. And like I said, the Ravens are a great organization. It's also been fun to just be part of the changing digital and social media landscape. Like when I started, social media was a component, but it was kind of an afterthought. It was really just a way to get people to your website. The strategy behind it was basically, can you tweet some stories? And it was kind of a glorified RSS feed, and, and certainly things have changed in a lot of ways. I always like to say that our social media channels are the biggest window into our organization that our fans have. And that's really evolved over the past five, six years. And so it's been really fun and enjoyable to be right there in the middle of all that transition. So the most important question I have for you is, have your Cleveland friends ever forgiven you for, <laughs> for going to Baltimore? I still hear about it. You know, I still have friends and family that live in Cleveland. And so I've converted my immediate family, my parents and my two brothers, to cheer for the Ravens. So I've succeeded in that effort. But extended family cousins and uncles and aunts, not so much. So I have friends in Cleveland and a Cincinnati family. And uh, they are still, they like to be, let it be very known that they are not cheering for the Ravens at any point. It's kind of great because I get a trip back to Cleveland and Cincinnati each place once a year when we play there. And uh, it's always funny to have those conversations with you know, my cousins. They like to rub it in my face if the Browns beat us. Uh, I certainly still hear it from everybody for abandoning my roots, I guess. Well, you know, if it wasn't for COVID-19, we would probably talk quite a bit about Joe Burrow and that phenomenon, but at this point, it seems like those elements of football are taking a back seat to how in the world will a season take place. So that's really what I'd like to hear your perspective on today. You know, how are you and how are the Ravens preparing for a time of so much uncertainty? It is really uncertain. I feel like every day things change. You go back two months and Things today are like almost unrecognizable to what they were two months ago. It's so hard to predict what two months from now, three months from now, like what an NFL season is going to look like. So basically, like we're operating under the assumption that an NFL season is going to happen. They came out with the schedule. The NFL released the schedule last week. We're operating under the pretense that an NFL season is going to happen. And basically, until otherwise, that's the you know the operating procedure that we have. And I think what's really interesting for us is. On the digital and social space, we view this as a really significant time currently and for the past two months to connect with our fans and to provide a source of like fan engagement. There's there's no sports that are happening. So we have tried to use like our digital platforms uh, to connect with our fans because this is the one way that we are able to connect. 
we had the draft a few weeks ago. Typically, we have big events around town where thousands of fans come together and get excited about the season and get excited about the draft picks. Obviously, we weren't able to do that in the traditional sense. So what do we do? Well, we pivoted and we did a virtual draft experience. We recognize that the role that we have in the digital media world is, is really significant to try to still connect with our fans, even in a year where there is so much uncertainty about what the future holds and really what you know the next week holds. It's been interesting to navigate and challenging at the same time. So while there is this operating assumption that a season will happen, I have to believe there's a lot of different scenarios being played out. Like, what would a season look like? Would there be games without fans in the stadiums? Would there be, well, what would there be? You know, what are the different scenarios? Or is everyone just assuming, well, we're going to have a season and it's going to look like every other season? From my perspective, what we basically do is we basically operate under the presumption that there is going to be a season. Yeah, obviously, it's not like up to me to make the decision as to what that looks like. And then if we find out that there is any sort of change, whether it's reduced fans or no fans or no games, like any of the million different scenarios, then we would adjust to figuring out a way to cover that that is still engaging. The draft is a good example. If we were to go back two months and so mid-March – I can't remember exactly like when the NBA got shut down, but I think at mid-March, it was still, the feeling was the draft was going to be in Las Vegas. I was going to be attending the draft, and the feeling was there's no way the draft doesn't happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen in Las Vegas. It's going to be this incredible thing. And then it started to become, well, maybe there's not fans there. And so basically, like, our coverage shifted to become okay, well, now there's clearly not an in-person draft that's happening in Las Vegas. That has gone out the window. So how do we now adjust our coverage plans, which basically involved going back to the drawing board and starting from scratch because no longer were we going to have any in-person content with a player. We weren't going to be on site. And so I would say that's kind of the approach that you take to the season. You operate that it's going to happen, and hopefully it does. Hopefully it's a normal season and there's fans in the stands and all that. If it doesn't, then you kind of have to adjust and go back to the drawing board and figure out how you're going to cover it. There's just a million different ways that it could play out that it's so difficult to predict, okay, well, we have this contingency plan from a digital and social standpoint because it's hard to know. So I'm certainly, like every football fan, keeping our fingers crossed and, and hoping that everything happens. And then I'm glad that I'm not the one that's you know in the position of having to make decisions. Yeah, sometimes it's a, it's preferable to be in the back seat of a, in a yeah. car like this. Obviously, the same challenges that are facing the NFL and other professional sports leagues are facing you know the NCAA and and, and universities, even on an academic side. I mean, it, at least we can teach online, but you can't really play ball games online. You know, I mean. That's not going to draw a lot of fans to have a Madden tournament between the Ravens and the and, and the Browns. <laughs> right. What if, if just kind of thinking out into the future, suppose the NFL has a season, but universities and the NCAA decides not to. I mean, can you even imagine what a draft would look like a year from now when, when there hasn't been a college? I mean, obviously we're speculating here, but – that's, yeah. that's what a podcast is for, is for pure <laughs> right. speculation. So I, yeah, I wonder exactly. if that's been gamed out at all at the NFL level. 
I'm sure some people have thought about that possibility, like some of the scouts and the, the general managers. And if that were to happen, if there were to be no college football season, you know, could you still at that point have the combine in February? You know, eleven. So that's whatever nine months from now. Could that happen? I don't know. That would be a way to get at least some testing measurables on players. It's just to go back to something you said. It, it, it is interesting on the Madden front. That actually has been something that we have done more of. And ESPN, a lot of different platforms have leaned into the virtual gaming, the e-gaming space, because it is something that is still up and running right now. And so we have we have done some testing and had some fun with that. Now, by no means would e-gaming replace the excitement of having an actual NFL game, but it has been fun to see. There, there just seems to be at least some level of an appetite. We've had some of our players play fans, as an example. And so, like, that's one of the new things that we've, we hadn't done that previously. But as everyone's home and looking for ways to engage and looking for things to do, that's been one of the things that we've done, which has been a pretty fun thing, I think, for our players and for our fans. So, yeah, going back to the college thing, it would be really fascinating to see how a draft would go, and I would guess that that would be one of the most unique drafts. If you were drafting players who hadn't played in over a year, that would be wild. We should probably not get too far out ahead of ourselves, but this we clearly understand that we have no idea what's going to happen. Right. That is for certain. I'm interested to know how much contact and interaction you have with your counterparts on the other NFL teams. A lot. Yeah, we have a lot. Every year, for example, we've done meetings. We'll see what happens this year, but we've done in-person meetings from a digital and social standpoint where you come together with all thir- with representatives from all 32 teams and representatives from the league, talk about best practices, talk about the future of our space meet with different meet with the platforms last year for example it was in austin the year before that it was in san francisco and so we you know you come together when we were in san francisco we spent a day at twitter spent a day at facebook we spent a day at youtube and then you had all 32 teams plus the league we call it all 33 so we had all 33 there so you get to know these people, plus you see them on Sundays. You know, if we play the Steelers, the Browns, whoever it is, you see these people. It's a brief conversation. It's basically, hi, hello, how you doing? And then we're all running to do our various things on game day. But you do get to see them on a regular basis. I certainly know some of the folks who have been in the league a little bit longer. You know, as we talk about off the top, I've been in the league for nine years. For people who you see on an annual basis, you just get to know them a little bit better. And then I really think some of those off-site conversations and meetings – the annual meetings that you have are really important just to get to know people on a, you know, you're going to dinner and you're spending all day in a conference room talking through different scenarios. I think that time is really valuable. So we have a lot of contacts with the people around the league. Would you be in a position to rank order, let's say, and let's take the Baltimore Ravens out of the mix so that you're not, you know, having to, <laughs> to speak about your own team. But uh, the, maybe the top three teams for their social media engagement strategies and execution? It probably varies based on what exactly the platform is. So, for example, the Cleveland Browns do a fantastic job. They have a long-form series on YouTube that they call Building the Browns. It's a hard knocks style look at the team and the organization. It's really well done. takes a ton of resources, and it's, it's, it's great content. Not every team does the behind-the-scenes, in-depth storytelling. We're a little bit limited in that. 
some teams don't do it because of the, either resources or they don't have the access to do so. I'd say all that just to say I think it kind of depends on what exactly the goal is, but the Browns have a great long-form strategy. So there's a number of different teams that can really hit on some of like the social media trends and, and some of the excitement in the social media space. For example, the schedule, NFL schedule was released within the last week. And a big thing along those lines is always a schedule release video, and it's exciting to see what teams can come up with and what that looks like. Uh, the Carolina Panthers did a fantastic job with that. Just a great video, great production, very timely, very you know on point. Uh, so I think the Panthers do a great job. You know, the Chargers are a team that pushes the boundaries. They're an LA team, and they're exciting, and so they I think do a really good job of tapping into that social media conversation. I think the 49ers do a really good job from a production standpoint. I think the Vikings have a really good overall social strategy in terms of visual appearance, overall production, kind of a mix of all those things. I think the Eagles do a really good job. I, you know, as I talk about, I could keep throwing out various teams. I don't think it's a clear hierarchy of these teams are the best without question and everyone else is. I think that depending on the different types of content, you'll see – teams kind of rise to the top and then also you'll just see some teams hit a home run on something specific and you're like man that's a really good idea we should do that that's, that's something that's really cool and the other part of it too is like there's so many platforms now it's like oh well this team might be really good on tiktok i think the kansas city chiefs are an example that are they're great on tiktok and we try to get some inspiration from them and so there's all these different platforms that it's like oh they might thrive in one space but we feel like another team thrives in another space and we take good ideas from from all 32 teams probably (laughs) i'm wondering how much you might have paid attention to what lsu did this year obviously not in the league but we were paying a lot of attention to that up here with joe burrow but it seemed like they were getting a lot of of high marks for their video campaign around the joe burrow story were you able to pay any attention to to some of that yeah, I paid a lot of attention to that, and I think that they, rightfully so, got really high marks around their Joe Burrow content. Obviously, I think the, the shot that everyone remembers, but well, probably two of them, one is when he ran out of the tunnel with his nameplate changed on senior day. That was one just really beautifully shot and incredible moment. And then the other was the cigar after winning the national championship. I thought LSU did a great job. The college space, they tend to have even more access than NFL teams, and they leverage that into some great content. Also really timely content. It was beautifully shot. We also, even within the past few weeks, have probably paid even more attention to it because for the first time in the Ravens history, we drafted an LSU player. We drafted a linebacker, Patrick Queen. So the Ravens have been around since 96 and had never drafted an LSU player. So that changed this year. We took them in the first round. We've been going back through and actually working with LSU a little bit on some video content and getting some content from them. It's interesting you bring that up in a lot of ways. That has been one major change and transition. College athletics departments have really, this, particularly the savvy ones, have invested significant resources into their creative media budgets. And Ohio State was one of the ones on the forefront of that. Clemson. I mean, it's teams from a football standpoint that are competing in, for national championships on an annual basis. LSU, we were just talking about, they obviously won the national championship. So those are three teams right there off the top. Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU who are, three of the powerhouses in college football and all of them have fantastic digital and creative media departments and i I don't think that that's a coincidence i think that the savvy teams are making use of these platforms and you know viewing it as an extension of 
it's a way to bring in fans. It's a way to bring in recruits and the good ones invest in that space. Let's get back to COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on how you do your work. Walk us through, if we didn't have COVID-19 right now, what would your routine be? And then how are you managing in a COVID-19 reality? I would certainly be in the office every day. We have a beautiful practice facility that we actually renovated a few years ago. It's one of the best, if not the best in the league. It's, it's a beautiful place. So I work out of there on a regular basis. We would have players in the building on a daily basis right now for organized team activities. They would have classroom work. They would have some light field work plus weight room time. And we would be having weekly press conferences and everything would be happening in person. Most importantly, I would be getting free lunch and breakfast on a daily basis and be getting that from the cafeteria. So that has been the biggest change in my life that I've had to fend for myself for breakfast and lunch. That's one of the probably one of the, the greatest perks of working for the Ravens in a normal environment is that we're able to eat in the team cafeteria. So that has really forced me to step up my cooking skills over the past two months because I don't have that luxury anymore. Now, obviously, I'm working from home. Every interview that we do is over Zoom, over the phone, over Instagram Live. And we've had to make more requests of players, I think, than we would in most years. Just take, for example, the off-season conditioning program. We typically are able to get into the weight room, take photos, take videos of guys working out. Well, now we can't do that. So in order to get any content, you have to make a request to a player. Call them, text them, and ask for whatever your request is, whether it's an interview, whatever the request is. We find ourselves making more requests than ever because that's the only way that we have the ability to put out content. And so in order to do that, you you really have to lean on the relationships that you've built with these players and coaches and front office members over the past several years because this is the time where that you know comes to fruition. If, if you don't have good relationships with those people – then they're not going to be that willing to participate during this time. And so I, when I started with the Ravens, someone senior in the organization told me that it's a business all about relationships. And I'm sure that's the case for most businesses, but it, I think that's been particularly true this off season where you need to make more and more requests to players. Just as an example, last week we had two of our marquee players, both pro bowlers uh, participate in a video for the schedule release where I read off the schedule to them. They hadn't seen it yet, and so we shared the schedule with them and got their raw reactions to it. You know, but that took extra time of them, you know, coordinating when they could be on a Zoom call with me and be part of that. People do have availability because they're home, but at the same time, people have families and it's challenging to coordinate. Being home brings on a whole other set of challenges. So the requests that we've made have been a big change in this current environment. You've been out in the real world, the marketplace, for a decade now. And when you graduated, you know, it wasn't too long after the economic crash of 08. What advice would you give to the folks who just graduated and, and our current students who are, uh, you know, they're reading all the headlines about the struggles that media are facing it's easy to get a little bit down in the dumps, along with all the other challenges of, of simply trying to stay alive in the middle of a pandemic. But what advice do you have? What do you do to keep your spirits up and to keep marching forward in as upbeat a way as possible? Well, I certainly remember looking for jobs around this time. I graduated in June of 2010, and this was a time 10 years ago where I was 
you know, on the job hunt and, and certainly looking and, um, it can be discouraging. And I think that one thing is it only takes, it only takes one employer opportunity. Um, so you can, you can send out 50 applications and, and, um, it only takes one of those to come back in a positive way. Um, and the other thing I would say is sometimes it's like the long play. Um, you know, this story, but I, when I was coming out of college, I applied for a job with the Atlanta Falcons and I interviewed for it and I did not get it. And I was disappointed at the time, but then flash forward a few, two years later and this job with the Ravens opened up. And the reason I found it is because the person who I interviewed with, with the Falcons sent it to me and put me in touch with the person who ultimately became my boss at the Ravens, just because he remembered having the conversations with me when I interviewed with the Falcons. I tell that story just to say that, you know, that was two years later that the experience that I had from interviewing when I was graduating from OU turned out to be helpful in getting this job with the Ravens. So sometimes it takes years to kind of come to fruition. The other part I would say too, that's, that is exciting, not just from the current state of things, but in the overall digital media world, is things are constantly changing, and they're certainly even changing right now. And so if you can find a way to, to tap into some of that change and evolution and how things can be more productive in different ways as the technology and the world moves, you can have some real opportunities. The job that I currently have did not exist. My job is director of social media for the Ravens. This job did not exist when I was graduating in 2010. I couldn't have applied for it. It wasn't there. There's going to be a job 10 years from now that, that doesn't exist today. Navigating through the changes in the media world will allow you know young students to, to be part of that change. If you get discouraged and you, and you worry about jobs that are hard to come by, and they can be. It can be very difficult to break in. It can be, uh, it can be discouraging. But think about ways that you can be part of that change, and I think that there will be opportunities that arise because of that. Garrett Downing, thank you for joining us on Scripps Talks. It's always great to catch up with you, and it's always been fun to keep an eye on how you're doing. But I have to say I was really shocked when I saw that you had been with the Ravens now pushing nine years. That made me feel a little more gray-haired than I than I even am. <laughs> Garrett Downing, good luck no matter what happens this season. I'm sure social media will play a, a, a phenomenally important role with keeping your, your fans engaged. We, we think so. I'm really excited um, you know, about what all the different things that can be going on and hope, we're keeping our fingers crossed that everything improves and, and that people stay healthy and that um, the world gets through this thing sooner rather than later. Amen to that. All right, best of luck to you and have a great season. All right, thank you so much.